Hello, and welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. With your host, Kenneth Bocor. This is episode 44, recorded on December the 1st, 2022. This episode of the EV Revolution Show is sponsored by File Sanctuary. Need a great web host for your business? Need to get email at yourdomain.com? They provide professional, feature-rich web and email hosting for any project you have in mind. Get started today at filesanctuary.net forward slash cloud and save 10% with promo code EVREVSHOW. All right, yes, and welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. As you heard, my name is Ken Bocor, your host. And for every podcast that I do, you hear, you hear me say this at the top, I'm always excited and super stoked for the guests that I have on the show because the podcasts are different, right? I try to find really smart people that are doing things differently within the electrification landscape um, that we may not be aware of. You know, we're aware of what some of the OEMs are doing and the cars and, and buses and things like that potentially, but there's a lot more going on. And this is a company that I'm very, very happy to finally have on the show a company called Dinner. Their tagline is Power to Transform. And I have their CEO and president, Mr. Gary Dinner. How are you, sir? Uh, great. Good morning, Kenneth. Good morning. And thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with me. I appreciate it. You bet. Um, so for those that don't know who Dinner is... Um, they are a company that is, um, their mission is to maximize the innovation and integration <clears throat> of technology to transform mobile work and resilient power systems. And we, we are going to talk a lot about that, um, you know, uh, changing the way that uh, organizations and people work, build and repair and use electricity, because there's a lot more uses than just driving a car around, as an example. Uh, a lot of work fleets, worker safety, uh, emergency EMS solutions, on and on. So, uh, Denura has produced some heavy-duty off-road platforms, and they're designed to power hydraulic and electric work attachments, and we're going to talk about that as well. So I, I came upon these guys, gee, a couple of years ago now, I think, um, in a news article, and then, you know, talked about that on one of my news shows, and then have been continuing to follow what they do and reach out. You guys have made a ton of progress. Um, so let's start there, um, Gary, with, with kind of quickly, you know, uh, you founded the company, and then what was the need that you see that you're trying to solve? Oh, great question. Of course, we get that constantly um, from a lot of people. And before I launch into that, let me just help quickly. Um, you know, what has happened since we last spoke a few mm -hmm. years ago, um, or you became aware of us, um, we, we have international partners and the company has grown and uh, it's, it's been an exciting time. And I've heard my name uh, pronounced, uh, you know, many different ways in many different uh, countries. Um, but the pronunciation of uh, the company is Danner, Danner um, okay. like, mm -hmm. like Danner Boots. Um, yeah. I sometimes say people are familiar with that. Yeah. Um, just wanted to help you out with that. Perfect. But um, my fans know I always butcher names anyway, so they, they get it. But <laughs> I try my best. Go for it. Yeah. Um, so your question of uh, what what were you trying to solve? Um, you know, my background has always been uh, work machinery and uh, working for, you know, global distribution and large manufacturers uh, for that. And, you know, we don't produce anything unless we're solving a problem. And it needs to return, um, have an ROI on day one 
or they don't buy it. This is not a choice. This is a work machine that's solving a problem. And um, without a doubt, um, there's a lot of machines out there that fleet managers use, everything from A to Z. The problem is most of those are single purpose or seasonal. So at best, uh, you know, you may only get 25% utilization out of the equipment. That means the winter equipment only works in the winter uh, and the summer equipment only works in the summer. So we were coming and responding to fleet managers that uh, are trying to make cities come alive every morning safely and infrastructure maintenance and emergency response, uh, helping them have a very multi-purpose platform that works every week, but one that can be changing from week to week because the, uh, the use tax, uh, the use cases are enormous mm-hmm. and, um, so that's really the objective that we started down that road uh, in 2010, 2011, 2012 with concept vehicles. And it makes sense uh, at that time period, knowing where we were going with powertrains to make an electric powertrain. That's the best of all worlds. Yeah, well, certainly correct. And um, I think for listeners to uh, grasp is the importance when you're dealing with the fleet environments and the workforce side of things versus the consumer side of things is things like, you know, the lower total cost of ownerships and return on investments are extremely critical to part of their decision-making process, right? So it's not just, even if something's the best out there, if it can't meet a financial model that makes sense to that organization or municipality or whatever, chances are they're not going to go down that route. So um, being able to deliver something that can meet, you know, has very strong properties with regards to those is critical, I think, to the success of being able to get into those marketplaces and succeed. Right. That's exactly right. So, you know, part of that, um, I guess, your the client base that you're looking at for your solutions would be municipalities, regional governments, different layers, you know, counties, things like that layers of government that that can take advantage of the tools that you're offering through um, that the focus product is your mobile power station. And we'll talk, we'll get into talking about some of those details on that power station. But, you know, just think of a big battery pack on wheels, basically, that you can add stuff to, uh, you can add attachments, uh, extreme multi-purpose attachments you can you you can configure uh, very configurable as you mentioned to me um, from electric and some hybrid and and all kinds of stuff uh, being able to ability to have it driver somebody drive it or remote control or a combination of different elements and I think the versatility that this platform provides is you know along with um, the financials is really a key stepping stone to get into these markets. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things we've noticed uh, as we started making deliveries and getting these into different fleets, um, and I can make that point very quickly, there's about 20 different sales channels that qualify. It is clearly cities and counties and municipal, you know, and so forth, infrastructure. Um, But, you know, while the city of New York, the city of Quebec, LA, Montreal, I mean, cities of that size, they'll have 10,000 or 15,000 pieces of equipment that they're trying to manage. Mm-hmm. Some of those are on road. Some of those are off road. It's about a 50, 50. Um, but um, that it's just not cities and counties. It's amusement parks and the hotel beverage industry and the motion picture industry, mm-hmm. certainly mining and construction and agriculture, uh, military, 
uh, national parks. I mean, you name it. There's every everything you can imagine has a fleet of equipment that is um, using machinery instead of uh, manual labor. And um, what's fascinating is when we get a multi-purpose machine to a fleet, um, they've been requesting these work tools that allow, allow them to put it on the front of a loader or something else. So those have been in the play, workplace for a couple of decades now. Mm-hmm. Well, now they're kind of doing the uh, Ikea hack of furniture, uh, if you will. They're imagining, well, maybe I could take my platform and use this attachment and that attachment on a mobile power station and create something that has never been created before. You know, something that obviously we didn't think of because we're not the experts in infrastructure maintenance like the cities are and or amusement parks might be. Um, so while we thought we understood the, you know, the importance of a multi-purpose platform that could receive different attachments, a couple hundred different attachments, um, I'll be honest with you, I didn't anticipate people imagining brand new things to do with the machine that I hadn't thought of in the last 30 some years, uh, but it shows the value of a multi-purpose platform that, that fleet managers now are in charge of, I can imagine what I want to do with this machine next week and I can make it happen. Yeah, I love it when people think out of the box and, you know, for listeners. So, you know, as you said, the platform, uh, the initial go-to-market strategy is have this platform that has 500 kilowatt hours of usable uh, which is with scalable power as well with multiple machines um, for, for different use cases. Um, I, you know, I love the fact that you came right out of the gate uh, with the ability to attach the leading vendors products out there in that world from Caterpillar, from John Deere, from Bobcat, things like that, because there's already a well-established base of people, you know, utilizing those technologies and those tools so being able to play in that game and to uh, make it easy for them to attach it to your uh, uh, power uh, station, mobile power station, is, is a great thing. But as you're saying, it's starting to morph now, um, be even beyond that, when people realize we have this almost clean sheet of paper that, you know, that we can we can attach stuff to. So if we, we talk strictly just about the platform itself, I think my understanding is you have various configurations of that platform from 250 kilowatt hours to 500 kilowatt hours. Is that correct? That's correct. And, mm-hmm. and that is with uh, off-the-shelf batteries uh, that mm-hmm. are in high volume production. And we continue that. Uh, we have a very good uh, technology you know, strategy um, for the future with batteries. And we've just now done that. But one of the things that's happening, and you would know for sure about this, is the energy densities are increasing dramatically. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you know, going from 500 kilowatts to 800 kilowatts, and of course, really where the market would like to see us is a full megawatt mm-hmm. on wheels. Um, that's very much in our near-term future, quite wow. honestly. Okay. Interesting. Uh, I, I'm I'm wondering who's asking for a megawatt on wheels at this point, besides maybe, you know, power backup situations for EMS or something like that. I mean, obviously, with, with what's going on climate-wise, we're starting to see the need for that. So... To that point, and it's a good question, it's related to um, what we were talking about, um, the work tools, the work mm-hmm. side of the machine. The thing that we were surprised to see was people uh, finding new ways to work with the multipurpose. The other thing that's been a surprise in the last 10 years is we know we have a lot of electricity on wheels. 
And we've always wanted to be able to play the role of a generator, mm-hmm. you know, being able to export AC power, uh, DC power, charge up a car, so forth and so on. What has been surprising in the re- most recent orders are confirming this. There's some people buying it strictly for that alone, mm-hmm. just mobile charging. Um, there's a real need in the you know, the grid infrastructure to get a more charging capability out there. And the, the fleets though, that we're talking about, they would be the most challenged. They're wanting to go electric fleets as fast as possible, but they need to charge those fleets. Mm-hmm. And when they recognize that a mobile power station can be every bit that literally just a mobile charger, that's really the best solution. Uh, rather than trying to invest in uh, hard uh, infrastructure charging that's buried in the ground that might take 18 months of permitting to even get yeah. there. Uh, quickly grab a mobile charger and you can place that wherever you want. It's distributed energy at this point. You mm-hmm. can uh, be charging in this location today and maybe move it and charge it someplace else. So for construction sites and agriculture and all of these uh, you know, areas that are uh, maybe off-grid by by design, mm-hmm. um, a mobile charger is really um, extremely valuable. So we're seeing it. Who wants a megawatt? Anybody wanting to charge up vehicle? <laughs> the megawatt will be one megawatt will be the new uh, standard soon. So that's great that you have the exportability of the power uh, capability in that with obviously bidirectional charging because a unit can get charged itself and then it can put that vehicle to load, vehicle to grid, whatever you know, capabilities back uh, in, into certain situations. You know, I, I know as an example, the Nissan Leaf, I mentioned before I pressed the record button that I used to own a Leaf. And Nissan was one of the few automakers early on that the Leaf actually had through Chatamo, that standard was already bi-directional. And they were using Leafs in small, you know, emergency response situations where they'd go yeah. to an area like after tsunami and provided power for lights for search and rescue and things like this. I mean, things, small things that you wouldn't think about uh, because they had the, the capability to do that quite easily. You know, I remember going to an auto show and there was a leaf there and a guy had a, one of these coffee barista stands, you know, a little trailer and he plugged <laughs> and he was powering everything, making, making his Starbucks from this, from the leaf. So yeah, you know, exactly. in the middle of a parking lot. So, so just take that concept up a notch, but certainly with the, you know, with the attachments and the different power ratings to, to be able to do the tasks, you know, depending on the tasks are, you know, to over 250 plus attachments. Um, you're, you're talking about over 8,000 charge cycles and that might even be improved on even now. Uh, and then the ability to, to um, have some technology connectivity through Wi-Fi and other means. And then the remote autonomous manual modes. That's interesting because I know you can put a cab and you can have somebody physically drive this. But uh, you know the remote option was uh, was quite interesting, and, and 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 can you give me some scenarios where that's important for customers? Well, we'll start with safety mm-hmm. and productivity. Um, you know, most of this machinery, um, it's been it's been designed decades, you know, hundred years ago. Uh, a lot of those architectures, if you will, those designs, they haven't changed in 50, 60 years, and it's all around. <clears throat> you know, a, a, a platform that has a diesel engine or some sort of energy on board <coughs> and some sort of an, an invention it could be a blueberry picker. It could be a trencher. It could be whatever, but some sort of an invention that's been placed on this machine 
and got to the field. And it's almost like an afterthought of where are we going to put the operator? Mm. <laughs> um, you know, we have to figure out a place for the operator to set and run this mobile piece of equipment. Um, so when operators today on some of those kind of machines and they're finding themselves on a mobile power station and they're trenching or they're doing some sort of work and they're in a cab and they realize I can get out of the cab and run this remotely and actually like see what I'm doing. You know, I'm digging in this space where I know there's fiber optics mm -hmm. and I'm trying to watch hand signals from somebody watching and guide me uh, to do this or that. Um, I'll just get out where I can see and actually be more productive and safer and so forth. Um, more importantly, um, I, I remember a presentation with the National Park Service and um, younger people, operators, um, you know, understood what we had. And one of the questions from the group, senior, you know, management was um, not sure why anybody would could use a machine without a cab. Uh, I think we just have to have the cab. I know you have this remote capability, but I, I, I think we just have to have a cab. And quickly, one of the um, people that are actually from the field said, we do not need a cab. <laughs> we, we'd prefer not to be on the machine. Uh, we'd prefer to run our work uh, mm -hmm. remotely. Mm -hmm. And that's the truth. Cabs uh, are certainly safe and so forth, but um, uh, it's very tiring. It's exhausting to be uh, confined in a cab and operating it. If you can be off with remote controls, um, most operators will prefer to do that. And so we're, we're seeing that very much in our experience with orders. You did mention autonomously, um, and it's, you know, semi-autonomously, we've demonstrated that capability with the, the DOD. Um, but again, work fleets are recognizing that if we can automate some tasks with machines to assist us mm -hmm. and maybe trench this line for 50 yards on its own, and I can be an attendant I don't have to sit on the trencher while it's trenching for 50 yards. I can actually watch the machine trench for 50 yards. And agriculture and mining and a lot of, um, you know, uh, operations like that are, are quickly doing that with machinery today. Mm -hmm. And um, it just makes it that much more feasible on a multi-purpose platform is to to bring as much automation into the work as possible for safety and productivity reasons. But autonomously, now the machines can position themselves overnight. Uh, they can get from point A to point B uh, versus having to put them on a truck and a trailer and get in rush hour traffic tomorrow morning. <laughs> Just have them uh, relocate themselves. So Interesting. That's, yeah, was, that's the kind of future people are talking about. I was going to ask you about that. I know that the, the vehicles themselves, they're governed at about 25 uh, miles per hour, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, as a max. Um, so, you know, they're obviously not going to be booting down the highway, but you're right. You can move them from a location to a location. If you have a big fleet and you're doing, it's a big move, then obviously you could throw them on a trailer or move them to the site, uh, the, the job site they're going to be working on. Um, on that remote in the military, I just wanted to follow up with that. So I know that these are mil spec remotes. So can you, can you give us a use case that's a non, you know, uh, NDA or security violation use case where the military might use this platform, what the, what the mil spec remote, the need there? 
I, I can. Um, and, you, you know, everyone's imagination can quickly uh, connect the dots and see mm-hmm. the, the logic in this. Um, I, I will want to very quickly correct. Um, you know, we have not commercialized what we demonstrated to the military. We've been working okay. with the military mm-hmm. since 2013, 14, 15, and it's been a great uh, experience for us to to see where some of that is all headed and going. And we did successfully demonstrate uh, the, the autonomous operation that we're referring to. Mm-hmm. But we want to, like a lot of things that get started uh, conceptually um, and practically in the military, eventually that gets commercialized. And uh, there is no question that the, the commercial industry that we talked about, mining, construction, agriculture, they're going to embrace this coming uh, as soon as it can be. Some of that's starting to show up in trucks already. Um, but what we demonstrated with the military, and it makes so much sense, it's resupply. Um, you, you may have, whether it's mundane, just trying to get uh, materials, supplies from one outpost to another forward operating base or from one distribution point to another. Yeah. You know, it's always a, it's always a logistical nightmare. Um, and it's dangerous many times, you know, yes. the roadways have been um, mines and so forth. So if you could do that autonomously and just move those materials from point A to point B without putting people in that chain, it's, it's safety. Um, and again, you can do that 24 hours a day. So um, you can choose when you want to start moving that around. More importantly, on the battlefield, um, resupplying people that don't have the ability to move. Maybe they are uh, in an area that is safe for them to stay. And you could start getting them food, water, ammunition with autonomous vehicles um, that could be considered almost a consumable if, if it in harm's way. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to have a vehicle that could be military spec and hardened um, operating on its own uh, network and so forth. Um, you know, that's, that's that practical side that we can all Im- imagine for military, mm-hmm. but then it's not hard to figure out how that works on construction sites and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a great, um, it's a great place to be uh, for the future. In fact, it's interesting. Whenever I get to be in a presentation of industry, you know, everyone's talking about the future. And so it's the future of mining, the future of agriculture, the future of construction, it's the future of everything. Um, it's everything you and I are talking about right now. Everybody is imagining this. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's a key takeaway is, is that you can imagine so many different use cases and needs requirements for this kind of technology. You know, um, not only is it, you know, again, hardened for military applications, covers some specs, it's movable, it's transportable, it can wade, I understand through the specs you guys sent me up to four feet in water. So if you're in a situation where, you know, maybe you, it's a storm event and you're, you know, as part of a response, a FEMA response or whatever, there's technology there to help support certain needs. These things can be out in the front lines, per to say, you know, at, at the times where they're needed, not have to wait for everything to uh, to be nice and sunny and warm. So, and, you know, and then being able to gain tether multiple of these together for either more power use cases, or again, if it's a mobile power need, then you could, you know, tether them for, for longer applications. Um, so I, I like it that almost the sky is the limit from a use case for these. And that's kind of what I saw when I first came across the article. And, 
started to have conversations, you know, personally with my local uh, municipality, who, like I think many municipalities and regional governments and counties around the world, are struggling to put together their own climate, you know, action plans and trying to, to meet targets that they're being told now through the states or through the provinces or different levels of government national, as it all filters down, you know, everybody gets a number at some point in time, and this is what you need to do. And, and you know, we'll give you some funding to help you get there. So, um, you know, I think this is a great catalyst and, and that's kind of the low hanging fruit of the marketplaces for looking at municipalities and those levels of governments to look at these this type of solution as a way to really, you know, help them get on on the pathway as one one uh, check mark on their climate action plan list to start lowering emissions because they all have targets to get to. So, um, what's the what's the most common adoption you've seen of your products so far? Is it been in those common, scenarios? The common um, option, did you say? A common um, adoption of it. Sorry, adoption. Yeah, sorry. By, by customers. Yeah. Um. Or has it varied? <laughs> it, it it has varied, yeah. and as I say, it's been surprising. The most common um, adoption of early adopters, um, and some of our staff is in Florida today with some people, and, and they've been wonderful early adopters as well. But mm-hmm. my point is that most common is, we're not sure how we're going to use this, but we know we can, and we're, we're going to bring it in and and try to understand really, you know, what the envelope of this capability is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I personally love that because I, I think it's too constraining for somebody to say, oh, I see it and I, it would be perfect for this. Mm-hmm. It really isn't perfect for just one thing. Right. Um, so they're, they're recognizing uh, we're not real sure how often we'll use it for that or this or that. And we may end up, as it turns out, coming up with something that we hadn't even imagined before. But if, if to try to answer your question fairly, and it's related to, you know, the, the future of this and the future of that, the future of the cities, the future of um, this, the, the upside that people get and the utilities themselves are helping with this message is that the most uh, advantageous or the, the best performing emergency response machine is the one that's in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one that you don't have to move three states away or something, you know, FEMA trying to mm-hmm. distribute. Right. Um, so when you think of cities that have hundreds and thousands of pieces of equipment that are all going electric, they quickly figure this out that in their city, in their area, they will have a virtual power plant in the right place at the right time, more or less distributed across Mm -hmm. a lot of different segments, sectors. Um, They could have 10, 20 megawatts of energy rolling around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to managing vulnerable grids, whether that's through just their own um, situations and you know, developing countries that don't have strong grids um, or emergency disaster type things, the ability to dispatch and move that energy from where it is to maybe more concentrated, more beneficial 
that's an amazing future and to think about that um that you know you could move two megawatts of energy six blocks down the road tether that up to have a mobile microgrid and making mm-hmm. sure you know certain facilities do not go dark yeah, critical infrastructure uh, yeah mm-hmm. so that's probably the most common uh, early adoption that people are imagining mm-hmm. is these large fleets i mean if that makes sense in a city it makes sense mm-hmm. on a construction site or agriculture that multiple vehicles with a lot of energy that can be dispatched and become a mobile microgrid makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And put some clarity on that. Most larger cities, um, and I'll, you know, there's a city that's next to where I live. That's a larger city with about 700,000 population. They all have uh, some sort of emergency preparedness plan in readiness um, actions that they put together and they, they continue to modify and drill on uh, all the time. So, you know, something like this, even in that uh, as a wedge, as a wedge of interest to get into a municipality would be a great story because again, most of the larger ones have to do this. Um, whether it's, I know the city next to me, you know, has a couple of um, of those uh, trailers full of uh, shipping containers full of cots and stuff like that. So if there needs to be uh, a rec center that needs to all of a sudden welcome a thousand people to take shelter, they have cots stored. So as an example, you know, amongst other stuff. And a lot of, I think people forget what's going on in the background until something happens and you walk into a, a, a community center where you're taking shelter and all this stuff is there and you're wondering where did it all come from and who thought of this? Well, all these plans are happening. so. That that power, um, the power, and then of course the capability of the machinery to be delivered in those instances is just huge. You know, it's just a huge benefit. right. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, there's definitely a need there. Um, you mentioned uh, that the batteries you were getting from uh, on the slide that I saw, it said that you were based on BMW i3 battery packs. Is that still the case, or have you modified your suppliers there? It still is the case with mm-hmm. one slight modification. Um, and I just was with the BMW folks just a few weeks ago in, in Germany, and what a great uh, company and great technical partner they have been for over five years. Um, and that battery is is a fantastic battery, and that's uh, we were very fortunate to start using that uh, in the very beginning, and we still use that. Um, but the i3 car, as you would know, uh, there's not a future for that, and. Um, Actually, that's kind of cool because the i3, I thought, was a great pioneer of the technology and so forth. And you can see BMW and other car manufacturers really coming out with some fantastic uh, cars and automobiles. Certainly are. So the i3 is going to be replaced with something new, whether you want to call that the i3 or the i4 or whatever. You know, it may be. (laughs) The i7 is pretty cool, by the way. Yeah, Um, I'm getting an i7 next week. So I'm looking forward to spending a week with a nice luxury, (laughs) a car that I can't even fit in my garage. So it's going to be fun to deal with that one, I'll tell you. (laughs) So all the way from a Prius to an i7, uh, what a a story you've had. Got to cover the spectrum from the leaf to that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, to that point, I just want to quickly answer your question. The the people that helped BMW support the with that battery pack design and with the actually production assembly mm-hmm. um, line that made that battery, um, they're carrying that battery continued forward. Um, okay, and they, they have worked in partnership with BMW. They have uh, pulled that line into their own facility. 
Mm-hmm. It's been revalidated. And that battery continues production today in okay. North America. And we have a really strong relationship with that company and, um, and certainly in North America and the UK and Germany and EU. Excellent. So there, you know, you've got a very rock solid uh, battery pack uh, system with, I'm sure, a very heavy duty thermal management component of that to to yep. keep the you know battery safe, warm, cold, all that stuff. So I know that somebody would have asked me a question <laughs> had this been live, but you know, what about cold weather climates? I mean, okay, great if you're in LA and you're digging ditches or in a farmer's field, but up here, you know, we have a lot of snow. We have a lot of minus twenty C, minus thirty C temps. Um, you know, even even more in the prairies, how are these going to hold up in those type of environments? Um, this sounds like a flippant answer, but it's the same way the I three would have held up in that environment. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the battery packs for for transportation are are amazing technology, and what you know, getting a battery pack um, live, turning it on. Um, you know, from that point on, it's creating energy and heat. So it's really been the um, thermal management challenge to make sure these batteries stay at the same temperature you and I like to stay at. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when they're, when it's cold out, uh, it'll start up. And it's not any different if we were trying to start up a diesel engine that was in 40 below. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of protocols you're going through. You're probably leaving it plugged in overnight, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, setting outside. And once you do start it off, you know, in cold climates, they encourage diesel engines, don't ever turn it off. Mm-hmm. Let it run, sitting there idling for six hours. Yeah, It's ridiculous. Um, that's not the case with batteries. You know, there may be a, a warm-up period of a few minutes to make sure um, battery management systems and everything is online and working. But from that point on, uh, we're going to try to keep it cool. We're going to keep it at our temperature. Right. So your customers then th- that would run it in these kind of climates, obviously you mentioned, you know, they, when they're not using the machinery, they'll keep it plugged in, they'll f- fully charge it, and it'll c- continue to keep itself warm in, in the cold temperatures. Uh, is it, There's a bit of an uplift then from clients to look at, you know, putting in some sort of charging infrastructure to support the fleet that they would adopt in this? They, there are. I mean, they're looking at that. It's no mm-hmm. different than um, liquid fuels. You know, mm-hmm. these large fleets have always tried to figure out what's the best way for us to have fuel on site, underground tanks, above ground tanks, pumping systems, trying mm-hmm. to keep the diesel fuel from algae free, mm-hmm. um, you know, lockout systems. There's a whole industry around just managing your liquid energy and mm-hmm. storing it. And now they're realizing that electric um is no different. It takes consideration and management, but it is a much simpler thing to do, uh, especially when you have chargers on wheels or you have a mobile microgrid you can move around. So, um, um, but they're used to that and they're, they're used to managing and making sure they're self-sufficient 24 seven. And the, an electric mobile power station just makes it easier to do that. Absolutely. And in, in a typical work day environment, uh, you're, um, mobile power uh, platforms have the capability to deliver that power for for the full day. Like you're not seeing any challenges there. If you mentioned about uh, you know trenching, I mean that's an application that that machine will be able to to deliver the power for consistently all day. 
Oh, absolutely. Not even multiple days, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. Depending on what you're doing with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is multiple days, um, but it's certainly a a day. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's some machines that, you know, with diesel, I'll use that comparison once again, you know, the size of the fuel tank, you'd like to make sure that machine could run for 10 hours. And so, you know, when we talk about a day, we're talking about 10 hours of continuous operation. Okay. Um, but depending on whether you're using 20 horsepower or 150 horsepower, mm-hmm. you know, the machine uh, will have a fuel tank appropriately sized. Um, the thing that is happening, and everyone is starting to understand this, the efficiencies of electricity has always been known. But, you know, when, when it is not working, it is not using an electron. And it's as simple of a switch going on and off. I mean, the machine is off for three seconds or the machine is on for whatever. Mm-hmm. And so when you do these different attachments, if it's 20 horsepower attachment, it's only going to pull 20 horsepower worth of electrons. Even though the engine, diesel engine, might have been a 150 horsepower engine and it has no choice but to run at that. Um, mm-hmm. That's the, the efficiency of electricity. So there's an upside. Um, you know, the assumptions going in conservatively is we want to make sure we have plenty of energy on board. We want to be able to run these hydraulic systems and mechanical systems electrically um, and make sure we have plenty of power. Um, when you run systems electrically, it's not using as much power as we might have thought. Right. Does that make sense? It does because, yeah, electricity it is very efficient. You know, in autos alone, it's 95 percent of the energy is used to move the vehicle versus about 30% in an internal combustion car. So it's quite a dramatic increase in efficiencies. I mean, we get hung up on efficiencies as far as range goes. That's a different measurement, but Correct. the actual, you know, performance of, uh, of the electrical, whatever it is, is quite, quite high, quite efficient. So it makes perfect sense. Um, uh, we're getting close to the wrap up time. So I wanted to ask, um, you've obviously been talking to a lot of organizations in the U.S. You're based in the U.S. Do you see your purview expanding to other regions and other areas? Oh, absolutely. The the machine, well, I'm kind of excited to tell you, um, you know, since two or three years ago, um, we're moving into a new building, new new facility, new site. We, mm-hmm. we started that site five years ago, mm-hmm. an old um Rust Belt um, Brownfield that we've been able to bring back to um, viability, commercialability, new new infrastructure nice. in there. And that's based uh, our where, building. Where, Gary? That's in Muncie. Muncie, okay, Indiana. Muncie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, it has solar on the roof. We can run that building off the grid. Um, we have battery storage. I mean, it's been a great yeah. journey. And we move in. We're moving now. There's boxes in my office right now. Um, (laughs) But I just returned from uh, the UK and Germany. And, you know, the building was purposely designed to be replicated. Rather than have a a million square feet or hundreds of thousands of square feet in one facility, I would rather do 10 smaller facilities in disadvantaged communities and work off the grid. And um, that's our plan for North America. Uh, We have a business partnership with people in the UK right now that I met with and they're planning on replicating our building in Muncie in the UK. And um, we'll be doing assemblies of mobile power stations in, uh, in the, on the European side of things. 
Excellent. Well, you know, I know that we could go on, but our time is limited and I'm going to, going to wrap this up. I know I encourage folks to check you guys out. You have lots of information um, on your site about the, the, the 3.0 product, the 4.0 product, attachments, autonomy. Where can folks find information on you guys? I think it's danner.us.com. Our website um, has, has done a very nice job of keeping track of our videos and specifications and contact information. Yeah, there is a lot of great information there. That's the best spot. And again, I encourage listeners to check it out. And if something is of interest to you, if you if if this what we talked about is resonating, and you feel it might work for your local community, be it a government or an organization, could be a private company that you know that might be able to take advantage of this. Uh, show them what what uh, what these guys are doing, and and you know let them uh, maybe reach out to Gary and his team to have a conversation because uh, I think that you haven't even scrape the tip of the iceberg yet on this uh, for a market, for, you know, potential. Uh, I think the opportunity is huge. Uh, any, any final comments there, uh, Gary? No final comments. I just want to express my appreciation for you reaching out to us and being part of the EV industry and keeping track of it. It's been quite a, it'll be, a, it's, it's been quite a change for civilization globally, obviously. Uh, this is amazingly important. And I uh, appreciate you being of interest and offering uh, the opportunity to speak with you today. It's great. Well, again, thank you for taking the time. That was Gary. Uh, Dane, let me do that again. That was Gary Danner. I'm getting it right now. President and CEO of Danner. It's a corporation, I guess. I That's correct. That far. That's Based out of Muncie, lovely Muncie, Indiana, one of the few places I have not been to. So I know we talked before, and if I get a chance maybe next spring to come down and see you guys in your new facility, I would love to do that. Spend a day, take some video, and have a conversations, and maybe see some of this stuff in action. I think that would be quite cool. Oh, you're more than welcome, and you won't just see it in action. You'll you'll run it yourself. So oh, please there come. we go. Get me on top of one of those beasts, and I'm there. There was a picture on Twitter yesterday about one of the giant earth mover cats, you know, that are at the the mine uh, sites, uh, like the really really big ones. And there's just all yeah. electric one, you know, that say uh, now we can make all electric these too. And I'm going, get me in there. I want to drive that thing. So <laughs> it's like ten that's stories cool. high or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Well, well, again, thank you very much, uh, Gary, and all the best to you and your team, and we will definitely be in touch. We'll follow up. Thanks a lot. Great talking with you, Kenneth. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening, folks. You can email me if you have comments. Email at evrevolutionshow at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at evrevshow. I'm also on Instagram, evrevolutionshow. And... If you uh, have any suggestions for shows, please let me know. Thanks again for listening, and please, everybody stay safe. And until the next time, I'll see you when I see you. Mm -hmm.